Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on cultivating a heart for God. Well, we're on our fifth week in our series, Cultivating Your Heart. Cultivating Your Heart. Let's go over our catechism. Our verse from the first week was Proverbs, same name as the church service, 423. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now let's all say it twice. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And then we looked at the Jesus' healing of the leper and how God helps us get the rubble out of our hearts, and our phrase that night was, Lord, you can make me clean. Can we say that three times and believe it? Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. And then we looked at the law of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow later than you sow more than you sow. Let's say that twice. You reap what you sow later than you sow more than you sow. You reap what you sow later than you sow more than you sow. And sometimes just those little phrases, when you're facing a decision, the Holy Spirit will bring them back to your mind and you'll think twice, well, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Maybe I should take a different path out of the fear of the Lord. And last week... We began in our, uh, I didn't have a, real, a little slogan for last, this, last week and this week. Our title was The Spirit of the Lowly, and we were talking about the importance of humility. And we looked at a diagnostic that kind of helps us see where we are in terms of sinful pride. We talked about what pride was. It's, it's, a, it's just not seeing things correctly, not seeing yourself correctly. It's, a, it's, it's like being... Uh, intoxicated spiritually that you think more of yourself than you really are and that can get you into trouble just like being drunk on alcohol can get you into trouble it makes you a bad driver even though you're thinking you're a very good driver it makes you unwitty when you think you're being witty it makes you unsafe when you think you can handle things and in the same way sinful pride makes us very vulnerable to self-destruction because we're not seeing things as they really are. And then we closed last time with looking at the question, is God humble? Because he doesn't sound very humble a lot of the times. I am he, there is no other, you shall not give my glory to another. And we talked about how difficult it is for us to imagine what would humility look like in an infinite, perfect being. Because the way we express humility is we say, well, I could have done it better, I failed at many other things, nobody's perfect. Well, God can't say any of those things. He is perfect, every, never makes mistakes, so he can't use the expressions of humility that we use because they're not true in his case. And just as you get up very, very close to a huge billboard and a big picture and you can't see what the picture is when you're real close, you just see it looks like a lot of dots. In the same way, God is so big, it's very difficult for us to imagine, well, what would humility look like in God? And so he came in the form of Jesus Christ to show us uh, not, what, not just what man should be, he came to show us what God is. And to everyone's surprise, he came in humility and servanthood, not because he was a man, but because he was God. And it was God's way of saying, that's who I really am in my heart of hearts. And that's why he calls us to humility, because it's how he is. And how he is is the best way to be. I've jotted down a few things that you don't have in your notes but, but about this before we get into our outline. Humility doesn't mean thinking badly about yourself. It means thinking rightly about yourself. God is not trying to bring you down or eliminate you, saying, oh, you, you got your head up so high, well, I'll put you in your place. He wants to heal and help and bless you. Humility is a blessing, not a necessary evil or burden. Humility is not a luxury item or extra credit for super saints, that if you want extra points and want to score over 100, well, you work on humility. But otherwise, you know, just be a normal person. 
Humility is an essential characteristic and key need for all believers. Humility makes you more resilient, more blessed, more joyful, healthier, and more successful. Humility protects and deepens and enables your intimacy with God. Because the more humble you get, the more rightly you see who you really are and who God is, the more you, we transmit on the same frequency, we understand each other. I was just thinking, just before I got up, thinking how when that mother of young children is there and uh, the two-year-old has just broken something and the uh, eight-month-old has just fallen and is crying and then she was just in the midst of trying to have a quiet time, she just sat down a moment ago, gets up and knocks over her coffee cup, you know, and in all the midst of this mess, as she is there uh, doing her duty and serving and wishing she could be somewhere else, uh, that what God is thinking is, that's the closest you've ever been in your life to being like me, to just getting to be a humble servant where nobody is watching, nobody sees that mother and all she went through that morning. And it seemed like she's just treading water and just surviving. But God says, you are being a humble servant and you are meeting those needs and no one else sees it, but I see it. And he says, I can relate to you. He says, I do it all day long, every day. I've always done it. And he says, you're my kind of person. Doesn't that transform those moments of frustration when it just seems like you're just working and serving and going in circles? One other thing, humility removes most of the footholds Satan might have in your life. It's very difficult for Satan to do, to grab on to a humble person. And so as you grow, let, allow God to work in your life in this area of humility. You are moving on a path of great blessing and of great joy. It shouldn't be something that you fear or try to avoid, but that you long for. Because the more humble you get, the more like God you'll be. The more useful you'll be to Him. And the more frustrating you'll be for the devil. Well, let's talk about the road to humility. Now, actually, God has been working on you a long time. You know, maybe this, this, for some of you, this might be the first time you've given this much thought to this area of humility. God has been thinking about you in relation to this all of your life. Let's look at some of the things, some of the tools that God uses to help us in this area. Again, this isn't to beat us down. It's to heal us of a wrong understanding of who we are. One thing that God has used in your life seeking to lead you in a path of humility is failure. Think about Peter's denial. He denied Christ three times. Did Peter have to deny Jesus? Well, with his, with his weaknesses set, set in that situation, he was going to deny Christ. But Jesus could have avoided the whole thing. Jesus knew Peter well enough that he predicted and he knew the future also, so he predicted Peter's denial. Jesus could have arranged events where P Peter wouldn't have been in the situation and therefore wouldn't have denied him. He could have left them up in Galilee and said to the twelve, could y'all wait for me here? I've got something to do in Jerusalem for two or three weeks. Go to the cross, die, buried, resurrect, and then I'll come back. Then not tell them, just leave them there. Say, I've got a, something to take care of in Jerusalem. And then Peter would never have denied the Lord. It was within the Lord's will that Peter failed. And when he failed, God didn't know, nor, know more about Peter. Peter knew more about Peter. What did he know? Just the truth. Peter realized who he really was. Before that failure, he says, Oh, Lord, I will do this and that, and, and I will follow you to death. He had a wrong view of himself. But through that failure, it brought him down, not below who he was, just to who he was. And some of you have experienced terrible failure in your life. It might be with something in your business, it might be something with your finances, something with your parents, with your marriage, with a child. 
but it is something that uh, you try not to even think about. It is so painful. Could it not be that it's something that God allowed in your life? Because you, as you think back, you realize, well, yes, if the circumstances had been a bit different, that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have ended up that way. Just like with Peter, if he hadn't gone to Jerusalem, he wouldn't have denied the Lord. But God allowed it. Why? Part of it might be that as a side thing on it, he wanted to help you grow in humility. He uses limitations, physical limitations. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It's after Paul has said that he's uh, had those wonderful visions of the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. God allowed a thorn in the flesh that was delivered by Satan to torment him. Why? You think, why? Because the alternative was worse. It says, without this thorn, you would have less pain, but you would be so unable to control the pride in your life because of the visions you've seen that you would be completely unuseful to me and an open door for Satan to come in and misuse you. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. You need this thorn in the flesh. And some of you are dealing with physical limitations. And if you're not yet, you will. You live long enough and you will have a bunch of them. You'll have a list and you'll think, no one wants to hear my list. You know, I, got, I walked out the other day and I felt my Morton's neuroma. And I thought, well, who's going to care that I have a Morton's neuroma between the two balls of one of my feet that if I move a certain way, it hurts? Well, who cares? You know, well, I care because it hurts me. But uh, those are little things. But the thing, they get bigger and bigger. God uses, if we will let him, if we will cooperate with him, those physical limitations to teach us humility. I, as one person said, I have learned two things. There is a God, and I'm not Him. And that's one of the things that God teaches you through physical limitations. You are not God. You are not eternal. You are a dependent being. Learn to trust God. Another limitation could be financial. Deuteronomy 8.2, talking about the time in the desert. And it says that, that God uh, led them in the wilderness. And it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you. It was a, it was a physical... Uh, um, well, I have financial here, but just because in the desert, it's real hard to... There's no banks. You know, it was real hard to get ahead in the desert. I mean, you couldn't even plant a big crop or anything. You were just waiting on manna every day. I mean, if you were the ambitious type... You couldn't even hire people to go out and collect more men and sell it the next day because it was rotten the next day. Financially, you could not get ahead. And, he, and God says, I, I, I did that to humble you because it's the humble person that depends on God. The person that depends on God knows God. The person that knows God really knows what life is all about. He says, this is eternal life that you know, the, know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Another way that God has, and God has used moments in your life financially where everything seemed to go wrong and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? This is one of the things he was doing. He says, I want you to learn to trust me. And if you always have it easy with your finances, maybe the Lord knows you wouldn't have learned to trust him. Another way that God, thing that God uses us and has used to try to help us with humility is reproof and correction. Oh, how we love that one. Don't you, don't you know when you're in a conversation with somebody and you can tell they're getting ready to tell you something like that? I mean, you kind of know the people in your life. And when they start saying, well, uh, you really are a wonderful person and I like this and this and this about you. You know, they're just kind of like the nurse rubs the arm before she gives you the shot, you know? Now, the first way that God uses to correct us is just the Scriptures. As we read the Bible, as we sit under the preaching of the Word, He uses that to reprove us. That's the softest way, and it's the easiest for us to dodge, because we know the person behind us needs it so much more. And we're watching to see if they got that Word from the Lord. And the Lord is saying, I was aiming at you. <laughs> but we don't get that a lot of times, so then He'll send other believers into our lives. 
and they will correct us. And that's tough, isn't it? But that also is an opportunity to grow in humility. I remember sitting in the cafeteria. Funny how you always remember these situations when somebody rebukes you. And I was sitting in the cafeteria with the leader of the Navigator Ministry, and he said, uh, Henry, your problem is, is that you're proud. I mean, I could see it coming. I, I had seen you know, about two minutes ahead of time that something is up here. But I needed it, and it was good for me. And sometimes he will use reproof and correction from unbelievers. And that's sort of insulting you, to you because you think, well, I, you know, I have the Lord and I know the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes they're, they see right through it all and they're right on the money. And, and, and they're right. And you're wrong. And the humility of accepting that rebuke from them uh, can produ help produce humility. Now, just that you go through these things does not mean you get anything out of it necessarily. You have to respond. You have to cooperate. But you can either choose to rebel against it and grow in negativity and bitterness because of failure, limitations, physical limitations, financial problems, and being reproved by other believers, being reproved by your spouse, and being reproved by unbelievers. Or you can accept that God is at work in your life to bring you down to a sane estimate of yourself and to show you how much you need Him. Another thing that God uses in, your, in our lives to help us grow in humility is misunderstandings. Think about Mary and Joseph. How tremendously humbling that situation was. Mary tries to give an explanation. An angel appeared to me and that's why I'm pregnant. If your daughter said that, would you believe her? Would any of the town believe her? Of course not. Does it say anything like that in the Bible? Well, they say a virgin will conceive, but there could have, that could be taken different ways. And as far as the Old Testament uh, quote of that, uh, they weren't going to believe her. And, uh, and they're thinking Joseph is a fool to marry this girl. And they lived with that all their lives. There was never any way they could actually prove that it was what we have in our Bible. So we believe it, but the people around them didn't believe it, most probably. Another thing is, the, is just how, how God might use mocking in our lives, people making fun of us. Jesus was on the cross in, in Luke 23, and they said, well, he saved others. He can't save himself. Misunderstanding. I mean, if they had any idea who he was... They wouldn't have said that, and they would have been afraid to say anything. All of us have been deeply hurt at one point or another by being humiliated and by being made fun of. It might have been your dad. It might have been your mother. It might be your spouse. It might be your boss. It might have been a teacher in school. But everyone here could write down a couple of instances where you were deeply wounded, and you feel it even now. Could it be that God allowed that in part to help us not be so proud? To realize how much that hurts coming from others so that we will be more careful not to do that to others? We were just in Savannah over the weekend and down at the riverfront, they're all, it's all made out of, the roads are all made out of cobblestones. How'd those cobblestones get there? They're all from England. A boat would leave Savannah loaded down with cotton, rice, indigo, and sail to England. Empty it all out, maybe load on a few manufactured goods, but that don't weigh as much. If they try to sail back to Savannah like that, the boat's going to tip over. It's too light. So they would load it with what's called ballast stones to keep the boat from tipping over. Then they'd sail back and unload the ballast stones. God has put ballast stones in the bottom of your boat heavy things, maybe even sad, hurtful things. But his reason for allowing that was so your boat wouldn't tip over, so that you wouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Another thing that God has used in many lives is tragedy and loss. It's very humbling, uh, a tragedy or a loss of a loved one, and you're right there and you are helpless to stop it. That's very humbling. And six, uh, God sometimes uses difficult and demanding leaders. And that's very humbling. You do your best. You do exactly what they asked you to do. They're not happy with it. They point out the smallest mistake. It's humiliating. It's humbling. But if you will receive it the right way, God can transform it into a blessing.
I think I might have told you in another talk, but one day I was taking out the trash in Broadmoor Apartments. And I, yeah, there were these big dumpsters, you know. So I'm walking out with the trash, and I see in a car in the parking lot, uh, it looked like a, an argument going on, and movement and stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, out of this door, a lady in her 40s, I think, gets out, looks around kind of frantically, sees me with my trash can, and runs over to where I am. Out of the other door gets out a man in his early 50s. He sees her, comes running after her. She gets behind me, and he runs up here, and he goes that way, and she goes that way. And he goes that way, and then she goes the other way. And I'm standing there with my trash can. Obviously a domestic dispute. I'm real smart, you know, just pick right up. And uh, he said, get out of my way. And I, and I said, well, it really looks like y'all aren't in a real good frame of mind to, to settle this. Why don't you uh, calm down some? And so then he began to uh, take my name in vain, uh, curse at me or, you know, say things that were insulting. And these are moments, how could you possibly prepare for situations like this? I mean, it just kind of comes out of the blue. So I don't know why, but what I said was, well, I'm probably a whole lot worse than that, but God loves me anyway. Well, that sort of disarmed him. He says, oh, well, you're religious. Well, you know, why don't you blankety-blank-blank go off and pray? And I said, I've been praying ever since y'all ran up here. Well, then he kind of ran out of things to say, and he went off, and I helped her to the laundromat and got her locked in there to keep her safe. But anyway, what struck me on that was how uh, a humble response at that moment, uh, b because the Lord had already shown me what a wretch I was before him, that there wasn't anything bad he could say about me that I would feel insulted by. You know, I, d I only deserve to be in hell forever already. So uh, anything bad you say about me is much less than what's really true. God can use humility in your life to make you a blessing and to make you a better servant of Him. Let's look at how God worked in some of His best friends' lives. I mean, maybe you think God just thinks you're just a problem case and so He's going to really let you have it. Frankly, God worked the hardest on His favorite people. So if you feel particularly that God's giving you too much attention in this area, he gave all of the people that were most special in the history of the world lots of attention in helping them to grow in humility. Noah, for a hundred years in the middle of the desert, he, God says, I want you to build this a boat. You know, it doesn't rain there. The ocean is a long way away. And it took... It, it took as long as a hundred years to build this boat. Don't you know that that was the standard joke? I mean, it was a constant ridicule probably, not just for a month or a year or a decade. I mean, middle school seemed like it lasted for an eternity for you, but it was just three or four years. How about if middle school had lasted a hundred years? Oh, here they come, buck teeth. <laughs> you know, whatever it was, they ridiculed you about, you know? Noah, a hundred years of ridicule. But Noah was a humble man. Abraham, his name originally was what? Abram, which means exalted father. And God promised to give him a, a child when he was age 75. And for 25 years, nothing happens. After 24 years, God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. I mean, it sounds like some kind of a sick joke, you know? Uh, here he's totally sterile. It would be like saying to somebody that was on crutches but now is confined to a wheelchair, you know, saying, oh, Olympic runner is my name, you know, uh, a decathlon prince. And here he had to introduce himself as, well, what's your name? Well, father of multitude, multitude. And, well, where are they? He says, well, I don't have any, you know, but I'm believing that God's going to give me children. How old are you? Ninety-nine, huh? Right. Humiliating. God could have promised in, when he was 75, next year you'll have a son. And they would just had to believe that little bit of time. He waited and waited and waited and waited. And his servant grew in humility. God wanted to get a whole lot more out of this experience than just an Isaac. 
Third, Jacob. Jacob deceives his dad with a thing with Esau and dressing up like Esau so he can get the blessing. Then he runs off and he goes to visit his dear uncle Laban, falls in love with the daughter, the cute daughter, and Laban does a switcheroo on him. You reap what you sow. Jacob had done that with his dad, now somebody else does it with him. Don't you know that in the town they were talking about that one? Did you hear what Laban did? You're not going to believe this. Let me tell you, man. You remember, you, Rachel, remember Leah? You know, they knew they weren't going to ever be able to get a husband for Leah because of her eye. Ah, yeah, right, right, right. You're not going to believe this, man. They just got him drunk and everything. They slipped in Leah. Oh, you know. So every time then Jacob, ha, ha, there he is, you know. Ha, you were such an idiot, you know. Anybody around here knew that Laban was that kind of a guy, but no, you're just such a sucker. He listened to that for 20 years. God was working on him. He was building humility into the life of his servant. Joseph, how embarrassing to be sold by your brothers. And then he does what's right and gets thrown into prison. You'd think he'd be ready to just give up on God, but he allowed God to work humility in his life. He chose how he was going to respond to that situation. Moses, 40 years in the desert. Before going into the desert, I'll set the children of Israel free, and he kills the Egyptian, and that goes terribly. He goes off into the desert. By the end of those 40 years, he's so aware of his inability to really do anything that he really doesn't even want to be even close to what God was going to do because he felt so unuseful. And God says, now I can use you. Now I can use you. David was anointed at around age 15. For fifth, the next 15 years, he's fleeing from Saul. At one point, he's in that town, and he's got to, he's all by himself, and he has to pretend that he's insane. Wouldn't that be humbling? All by yourself, and you've got to pretend that, you're in, that you've lost your mind just to save your life. All alone. Nobody cares about you. The main guy back in your country wants to kill you. I mean, what if you knew President Bush wanted to kill you? I mean, bless his heart. I mean, he wouldn't, but not. Fifteen years. And, and every, what's everyone going to assume? There must be something that David did that he deserves this. Well, they weren't going to believe that this is just some crazy idea Saul had. No, where there's smoke, there's fire. He, David did something wrong. And he couldn't clear his name. Fifteen years fleeing from a bad king to drive that conviction deep in his heart. Now you know what being under a bad king is like. Don't be one. And then I think, as you could think about your life, you could make a list tonight of how God has tried to help you be humble. Maybe you didn't realize that's what was going on. But maybe, could it be, that those things were allowed by God to help you? I think of my life uh, in my teenage years. I was such a sad sack. One time my dad saw me. I was sitting on the stairs when I was 12 and feeling sick or trying to make myself sick so I wouldn't have to go to school. And I found this out 15 years later. He said, I, I looked at you there, Henry, on the stairs, and I thought, I'm losing him and I don't know what to do. He's dying and I don't know what to do. God used me in my dad's life to humble him. <laughs> I was always one of the last to be chosen on the teams. I went out for basketball, and uh, they would never let me scrimmage with the, with, the game, with the team. But one day in study hall, they came and told me that enough people were sick that there was an extra jersey for me. So I went to play in that game. We were losing so bad that in the third quarter, I guess they figured they could afford to put me in. They called me over and says, go in for Jimmy. And I says, which one's Jimmy? I had not played with the team. There were a couple of people I hadn't even met, really. And I went in. I ran up and down the court just once, and they pulled me back out. I guess I was too much of an embarrassment for them. But I believe now that God was working in my life to bless me, to put ballast in the bottom of my boat. The first couple of girls I called to go out with me said no. I was did poorly in my studies. Uh, there were a lot of things I look back on, and I realized, thank you, Lord, 
Those are some of the things that help me to see who I am without Jesus. Uh, the struggles that I've had and we've all had in different ways with purity growing up as a, as a young person. Just, uh, uh, just embarrassed that you're tempted by so many things. The humbling experience of living in a foreign country. You've been there 10 years, you still speak with an accent. Someone says, well, how long have you been here? 10 years. And they say, and you still speak so badly. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. Hurts so good. There's something that you have in your life that you're embarrassed about. Something, it could be a crooked nose, a way you talk. It could be something in your background, something about your parents. It could be something about your, uh, your job, and you think, well, others have these important jobs, and I just have this job. What is it that God has allowed right now in your life to help you and to bless you with humility? In the first uh, 15, 20 years, in number four uh, of my time with the Navigators, just a lack of recognition in the first... Uh, most of my time in college, they never even let me lead a Bible study. Uh, I was just always a participant. I remember sitting with some with another missionary in Argentina about 13 years ago, and, and he asked me a question, and, and I answered, and he says, well, why are you being so defensive? And I said, well, I, I guess I just, you know, felt like you didn't accept me. And he says, well, he says, I guess you're right. I don't accept you. I've had trouble with that. I've really tried to accept you. But uh, I love you, but I, I can't accept you. And afterwards thinking, thank you, God. These are the things, these are the ballast stones that God has allowed in our lives. Why? Because when God wants to use you greatly, if there isn't a strong counterweight, it will blow you over. Success is very difficult to handle righteously unless you have other things that keep you grounded in the truth that I am a tiny, weak, needy person. And if anything good has happened through my life, it's to the glory and praise of God. Our first, number five, the fruitless years, first years in Argentina. We worked for four years in evangelism full-time. We led four people to Christ. Two of them fell away. One of them moved away, and the other one didn't want to be discipled. Talk about feeling unuseful and getting paid to do it. It was very embarrassing. Six, the opinion of some of my extended family, and because this is on tape, I won't name any names, but I've have a number of comments sitting in my mind at all times uh, what they think about me and what I do. And it's not much. Uh, but others are happy with what I do. But it doesn't matter. The Lord allows these things if we'll let him to bless us. And being rebuked from my leaders at different times, like that situation I already told you about, sitting there and him, my leader telling me I was proud. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How is God trying to help you? Have you recognized his hand? Will you be willing to trust in him as he allows these things in your life that hurt so much? I'm not saying you shouldn't try to change it if you can. I believe that you should pray all that you want that God would change it, and many times he will. But Paul prayed three times that God would take away that thorn in the flesh. And God knew he couldn't, stand, he couldn't handle it. If he took the th away the thorn, the alternative would be worse. And God knows that about you and me. He knows how much ballast we need in our boat. And if God has allowed that to remain, even though you've cried and prayed, take the same word that Paul received from God, where God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for powers perfected in weakness. Let's look now at our part in the battle. What can we do? We've looked at what God has been doing uh, to try to help you and me, whether or not we are working on it, whether or not we are conscious of it. God has been at work for years in your life trying to help you reach a humble attitude about who you are. 
the first thing we can do in this battle is just to admit the truth. This isn't making up anything. This isn't saying I'm terrible when I'm really wonderful, that I'm stupid when I'm really smart, that I'm bad when I'm really good. Humility is just coming to know the reality and admitting it. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 12, God is sort of doing a reality check with Isaiah and the people that are listening to him. Because it's just easy for us to think more highly of ourselves than is proper, to rail against God. God, why did you let this happen? As all the book of Job is this complaint against God. And then when God finally shows up and asks Job in a row about 112 questions, says, you're so smart, thank you. I need some help running the universe. Where were you when I put it all together? And in the end, Job says, I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee, and therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Job came back to a realization of who God was and who he was, and was healed in his humility. But in Isaiah 40, verse, starting in verse 12, we're not going to go over it all, but you've got that passage there. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counselor? Why would God ask questions? Does he not know the answer? Of course he does. It's all a technique to help us to learn. Because when he asks a question, our mind works in a certain way. Your mind is already, already groping around for, that's the question, let's see, what's the answer? And the answer in this is, of course, God. But so often we get confused about who is God. Is it him or is it me? Because every time you have a criticism against God, you're switching places with it. You're evaluating him. Our part in the battle, number one, admit the reality. I am small, momentary, uninformed, weak, and sinful. We are low. We were talking about how pride is the desire to rise and humility is associated with being low or lowly. We are low or deficient in size, duration, knowledge, wisdom, righteousness, and in our ability and in our amount of control over situations. We're just this tiny, tiny little thing weak, and, and not just that we're small and weak and we last about that long, but we're also bad, given a chance. I mean, half of our righteousness is just that we weren't put in enough situations to tempt us. You know, I mean, you ate that whole chocolate cake just because it was in your refrigerator, and if they would put another one in every day, you might do that every day, but fortunately, there isn't a whole chocolate cake in there every day, and you try to maybe avoid that if that's a weakness of yours. You try to establish more distance, but what if you had to live right there with your temptation every single day? Would you be living in as much victory? So much of our victory is because of our lack of opportunity. And as we realize that, we realize... What do I have to boast about? I'm tiny, weak, limited, momentary, and on top of that, given a chance, I'm pretty bad. By the grace of God, I haven't been worse. Praise the Lord. But he gets the credit for that too. Just admit the reality and also recognize the greatness of God's love and grace. Because there you were, that tiny little speck that like a baby bad cockroach. Ooh, that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? God should have just stepped on us. And he says, that's the one I want. His name is Charles. And I want to take him and pay the greatest price for him. And I want to bring him back to my house. And I want to adopt him into my family and I, I will find the greatest pleasure in living with him forever. So even though you are tiny, weak, limited, momentary, and even bad, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You are his precious jewel. He would rather have you than gold, silver, platinum, and all the diamonds in the world. 
he says more than anything else in all of creation, I want you. So first he brings us down to the reality, but then we're feeling kind of bad about ourselves. And he says, don't feel bad about yourself. My greatest pleasure is to be intimate, intimately related to you. Second, as God speaks to you in this area of pride, because we all have it, and at times he, come, he comes through stronger, ask God to give you the grace to be able to be sad about it. In James it says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's a process of healing. Doesn't mean you're always going to be down in the dumps. It's just a matter of allowing it to hit you that you've been failing the Lord in, in this. When I gave this talk on the radio in Argentina, there was a man, uh, 60-ish, been married, you know, 30, 40 years, and he came afterwards, he said, I listened to the radio program today, I was listening there with my wife, and for the first time in my life, I realized I have a problem with pride. He says, I never knew it before. And I realized if I've been that way for that long, my wife must have really suffered. And he went over and knelt down and asked her forgiveness. You have no idea how much God could bless you if you will be responsive to what he's trying to do in your life in this area. Allow him to give you some of you are more emotional than others, so it doesn't have to be emotional, but let it be heartfelt. Third, consciously seek a lower position. Philippians 2, 6, and 7 talks about that Jesus, although existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And I wanted to give you just two ideas on that, how we can seek a lower position. First, by not seeking revenge. Somebody has hurt you, Romans 12, 9 through 14 says, never seek your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Let God take care of it. And there's some of you that have been so hurt and you just are still holding that against that person. It might have been somebody that, that knifed you in the back at work. It might have been something about your, your mom, your dad, maybe your parents' divorce, whatever it is. And in different ways, you know that either emotionally or in some other way, you have been seeking to get back at them. Maybe it's sometimes it's just in an emotional distancing yourself or in other, and sometimes it's a more active thing. But it is humbling to renounce all rights you might have to get revenge. It's humbling. Because the, it's the pride in you that wants to get even to set this right as though you were the judge of the universe. The second way that we can consciously seek a lower position is by seeking to serve others. By seeking to serve others. And some of you have a ready-made situation that you would just wish you could make disappear. You have an aging parent and their mind is going, or you will someday. And that is the kind of situation that is very taxing. Uh, they will never tell you thank you. They will always complain. Uh, sometimes it's a, a parent, caregiver for, a young, for young children also would, would feel the same thing. And allow God to transform that situation for you in your own mind and say, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to give the cup of cold water to face a situation where not only will they not thank me, they will m make life difficult for me. Thank you, Lord, because I, all I deserve is to already be in hell. I would much rather be here helping this person who's ungrateful than to be in hell where I really deserve to be. And allow God to help you get over it, because it's that brokenness that he produces in those moments of the cross, because it's really like a cross. When you're going through those things, it's like you feel your life ebbing away as you spend all of these hours and hours in this thankless task. It's as though you're on the cross. And to come to the place of surrender, because, you know, what can you do? I mean, you can't kill the person and, and you can't leave because then you'd be responsible too. And, and so you're just stuck. And to come to that place of surrender and say, Lord, you're Gethsemane. Lord, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. But if not, let not my will, 
But thine be done. Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. No, for this purpose I have come. Father, glorify thy name. And as you say that in that situation, God is more glorified than all the service you ever did for him in the church and the choir and the ushering and all the other things. He says, now that's a fragrant aroma rising up to me. Another way to grow in humility and cooperate with God is to strengthen your prayer life. The proud person doesn't pray, at least not by themselves. They love praying maybe in front of people. Not necessarily, but, but if they're practiced at it, they like praying in front of people. But if you will grow in your secret prayer life, you will be growing in humility. They always go together because you pray according, both according to your faith in God that He will respond and also to how, you, how high your level of need is that you perceive it. And so if you really believe you are weak and you're moving into a situation, you are going to call out to the one who does have resources, and that's God. Allow God to strengthen you in your prayer life and also in your praise and thanksgiving. Because there are always going to be things in your life that are bad, that are sad, that are difficult. But if you can strengthen those muscles of giving thanks to God anyway, of praising Him anyway, what you're saying is, Lord, I didn't deserve even this much. And I'm praising you and thanking you that you are good and that you love me. And that, that also works a deep humility in your life, in that quiet, secret place where no one can see. And finally, learn to boast in your weaknesses. No, not finally, we got another one after this. Heavens, let's move. Um, learn to boast in your weakness. Paul says, he says, I would rather boast about the ways that I am weak. Because in, his, in, in that place of weakness, then his strength is made perfect. And you have a weakness. Maybe you're the kind of person that you just can't pray in public. I mean, you just totally freeze up. It's not that you're not willing. You just can't. And it, it just bothers you so much. Maybe that's a thorn in the flesh for the time being. Maybe someday God will change that. But maybe for now God has allowed it. And maybe you should view it in a different way. Well, praise the Lord I'm weak like that. Hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's not so bad. Maybe God is helping me with a ballast stone in my boat. Well, praise the Lord. And he'll, if, if he ever wants to change that in me, he can do that too. Think about that. Boasting in the very thing that you're weak in that you wish wasn't that way. It's, maybe it's God's, God's mark of ownership, like his stamp. Someone once said, you know, they, they didn't like how their nose kind of went down and turned left, you know. And, and, uh, and someone else said, well, maybe you ought to see that just like you have a cow and every owner has his own special brand that he puts on the cow and says, that's my cow. Maybe God did that, allowed that with your nose so that he, you would always stick out for him. He says, oh, yeah, that's a favorite one of mine right over there, the one with the nose that goes over. I, I always see which one he is. Who knows? But... The idea of, uh, it's quite fascinating, thinking about learning to boast in your, not just bear with your weaknesses, boast in them. Uh, six, respond better to the authorities God has placed in your life. That also works humility. Respond better to your pastor, to the elders, to your, to your spouse. We're supposed to be mutually submitted to one another. But especially uh, the ladies have a command to respect their husband. And sometimes your husband doesn't seem that respectable. And to honor the Lord and allow yourself to receive that humility from God. Say, well, you know, I, I think I ought to have a better husband. Well, maybe, maybe if I was more humble, I would realize God has given me the husband he knew I needed, even with their weaknesses, and it's okay. Thank you, Lord. Teach me to be more humble. And finally, watch how you treat the little ones. Children, elderly, handicapped, animals. All of those are indications of humility or lack of it because the eye of the humble person is on the little one. Someone once said, Jesus' focus was on the least, the little, the last, and the lost. Isn't that good? The least, the little, the last, and the lost. And if you're growing in humility, that's where your eye will be too. 
In conclusion, we go back to that first verse we looked at. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we thought that sounded great. I need a, a long rest. And then the very next verse was, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That big old heavy thing. He says, hey, wait a minute. I thought, wait, we, I haven't gotten rested yet. I just got here and you said, I'll give you rest. And you hand me a yoke, not a pillow. You've got to be kidding me. I don't, I don't want to be an ox. I want to be an eagle. I want to soar, not serve. I want to give myself to finding my own way and destiny and success. I don't want to waste my time messing around doing just what anyone else could do. All of this just service stuff and behind the scenes. Is God trying to trick me into doing His work for me? But then this great surprise is I put on that yoke and I realize Jesus is on the other side of the yoke. A kind, humble servant setting the example for me. There is our God, meek and humble under the yoke, and already hard at work. He doesn't order me to humbly labor and serve so that he won't have to do it, but rather to participate in the activity with him and to be more like him. And behind all this is a great secret. Rebellion wears you out while serving in humility draws you close to the greatest servant of all, our God. Jesus said, come. Come to me. Come to me, everyone. Have you been rejecting his yoke? Stand and we will close in prayer. You are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak, and you wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. And I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble king. We worship you tonight. We admire you, Lord. But you want more than admirers. You want imitators. We thank you for the painful, patient work you've already been doing in our lives to help us. We're sorry for so often having kicked against what you've tried to do to help us. But now we pray, Lord as we come to our moments in Gethsemane, that you would help us to say to, Father, not my will, but thine be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast.